I don't want the takeaway to be you can't intubate someone if they aren't pre-oxygenated well. That's not the intention of this podcast. I want the takeaway to be you can't intubate somebody if you didn't try to pre-oxygenate them well. Here you on eight. Here you on eight. Okay, you're clear. Stand by for your base. Welcome to EMS Cast, where we provide high-level education for you, the providers on the streets. I'm your host, Ross Orpit, And I'm Matt Mendez. Traditionally, the anatomically difficult airway has gotten all the attention. However, the physiologically difficult airway is arguably way more dangerous. The inspiration for this episode is from a review paper published in the Western Journal of Emergency Medicine in 2015 titled, The Physiologically Difficult Airway. Yes, and every intubator should be prepared to deal with the four common physiological difficult airways. Those four are hypoxia, hypotension, severe metabolic acidosis, and right ventricular failure. So we're going to turn this into a four-part series, breaking down each one of those difficult situations. But let's first do hypoxia. I think whether or not your agency uses RSI, this is extremely important. Matt, can you give us a pre-hospital approach to pre-oxygenation? And then we can talk about the rationale and background. If you have two oxygen trees available or you have a portable tank and a wall tree, you can do the following approach. Put a nasal cannula on the patient at 15 liters per minute. You should also at the same time put a non-rebreather or oxygen mask on the patient at 15 liters per minute. This should bring most patients up to 100% SpO2 rather quickly. If this doesn't get them above 95%, then the next thing I would have you do is if they aren't too obtunded and don't have any of the other contracations to non-invasive ventilation, then put them on your non-invasive method of choice, such as CPAP or BiPAP, with 100% FiO2 as the setting. If you don't have non-invasive ventilation, you can put the nasal cannula in their nose at 15 liters per minute, and then you get a PEEP valve. Put that on your BVM and put the BVM mask over their face and allow them to breathe spontaneously through this. This will accomplish a very similar function to CPAP. Finally, if they are hypoxic or not adequately ventilating, simply put a PEEP valve on your BVM and bag them with this to pre-oxygenate them. Matt, tell us what a PEEP valve is if some systems may not be using this. So a PEEP valve is a little, it almost looks like an hourglass um, and it attaches to the BVM. I think most agencies probably have them at this point. Uh, but basically on your BVM, there's a little uh, cap that you pop off and then you screw the PEEP valve into there. And this gives somebody PEEP, which is um, positive end expiratory pressure and, and really helps to pre-oxygenate people. So that's the approach, non-rebreather plus nasal cannula. And if that doesn't work, then non-invasive. If that doesn't work and they are breathing spontaneously, seal a BVM with that PEEP valve we just talked about and let them breathe. Finally, if they're still not adequately breathing or oxygenating, simply bag them now with that PEEP valve. Exactly. Okay, now let's break down why does this matter? So honestly, we've all had to become pretty good at this during COVID, but I was awful at understanding this when I was a medic and barely understood it as a junior resident. If there is a paramedic listening who has only or mostly been a paramedic during the pandemic, they are probably really good at this. Yeah, the first time that 
I really started to take this more seriously was during the pandemic as well. We started seeing patients that would come in satting 80%, looking very comfortable, and we would put them on all the oxygen in the world, non-rebreather, nasal cannula, and the best I could get them was just above 90%. And at first I was like, uh, above 90%, I think that's still pretty good. But what we didn't realize was the physiologic process going on in these patients' lungs was that 90% didn't equate to a whole lot of reserve. So the minute you took that oxygen off and went to intubate them, or the minute you paralyze them with RSI medications, they would drop to 70% in seconds flat. And it was terrifying. And the, the terrifying part is that they drop that fast. They go from 90 to 70 and then they die because they don't have any oxygen. That's why this is so scary. So remember from paramedic school that most of the gas that makes up air is nitrogen. And only about 21% of the gas is actually oxygen. If we put someone on a maxed out non-rebreather, we can wash out all that nitrogen in their blood and have it so that most of the gas in the blood and in the lungs is oxygen. The whole idea here is that as soon as you use RSI, the patient stops breathing and they start using their oxygen reserves. People who need to be intubated for hypoxia usually don't actually have anything left in reserve. So people with bad comorbidities like CHF or COPD might have an SpO2 of 95%. Or, like we talked about with Ross's COVID cases, as soon as you do something to intubate them, such as push medications uh, or take away their drive, that 95 turns into 70% really quick. And that 70 can turn into bradycardia and arrest soon after. Yeah, all of this is about increasing that amount of reserve. And the more reserve you have, that means the more time you have to get that tube in place. So how long do you need to have someone breathing on a non-rebreather to have their nitrogen really washed out? I don't think anyone knows the exact time, but I think most people agree that the healthiest person who's having like an elective intubation or something close to an elective intubation just needs a handful of deep breaths on a non-rebreather, and that will essentially give them all the reserve max out that they need. And then on the other end of the spectrum, the sicker pre people probably need at least three minutes on 100% O2 before they are truly washed out, so to say. You also mentioned having a flush rate nasal cannula. Can, what, is, what does flush rate mean? So flush rate means you turn the wheel on the oxygen tree all the way open until the ball is bouncing off the top of the glass. So there's 15, then there's 20, and then there's just wide open, which is something higher than 15 or 20. That's flush rate. So the nasal cannula really can go above six despite <laughs> what we're taught. Yes, it's uncomfortable and it dries out your nose, but it can. Okay. Is this really necessary? So the having the nasal cannula in the nose at the same time as the non-rebreather uh, is, is kind of a technique we're borrowing from apneic oxygenation. So to back up, apneic oxygenation is you have a nasal cannula on the entire time you're intubating someone, including when they're not breathing anymore. The thought being if you're shoving nasal cannula down their nose, it's going to keep oxygen in their lungs at somehow. What we're doing here is is borrowing from that and saying if I'm flushing oxygen through their nose and then putting a non-rebreather around that, there's oxygen going in every hole that can get down into a lung, and that's a good thing. I think that this is uh, incredibly low risk and incredibly high reward. The biggest advantage here is that you put them on the non-rebreather, you have the nasal cannula in place, you then use RSI to induce, or you don't, you do whatever your agency does to intubate people, but you're going to have to take that non-rebreather off and then they're going to be apneic and not breathing, but the nasal cannula can stay in, and this low-risk, high-reward, high rate of oxygen is just blowing down their trachea. 
Okay, so the whole idea behind all of this is, to, is really just to optimize as much oxygen delivery as we possibly can in order to flush out all of the normal gases in the, in the lungs, such as nitrogen. And, and that will, in, in a way, increase our oxygen reserves and give us more time to intubate. So if you have two oxygen trees, you have them on a nasal cannula and an honor breather, both at flush rates, ball bouncing off the top of that oxygen tree, and they are still hypoxic or barely into a normal range, what would your next step be? So I, I think the next step here you'll see in hospitals when you're training or if you work at hospitals is we will either go to what's called a heated high flow nasal cannula, or we'll go to non-invasive, which is CPAP or BiPAP. So that mask sealed to their face, blowing in uh, oxygen and, and giving them PEEP. COVID patients uh, and other pneumonia patients, you'll see, you'll often see heated high flow nasal cannula used because they don't really need the high PEEP that non-invasive provides. COPD and CHF patients, you'll see that they tend to get pre-oxygenated with CPAP or BiPAP, aka non-invasive. And prior to COVID, most EDs didn't readily have uh, high flow nasal cannulas available downstairs. So if the nasal cannula non rebreather approach wasn't working, your next step was CPAP or BiPAP. And so that's what we're going to do in the field. Yeah. The heated high flow is almost like a flush rate nasal cannula on steroids, much more comfortable for the patient though. But as soon as you push those paralytics and they go apneic, you can still have that apneic oxygenation just again, way better than just the standard nasal cannula. So that's pretty great with the heated high flow nasal cannula and the things we can do with that today. But as far as CPAP or BiPAP goes, what, what do the medics do if they don't have either of these machines or if of course the machine's broken this day? All right. So it's MacGyver time. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to borrow from the, uh, podcast and, uh, critical care guru MCRIT. So they have a really cool video on this. If your patient is breathing spontaneously, so you they're not hypoventilating, they're not obtunded. What you do is you put that nasal cannula on at flush rate that's blowing in their nose. Um, and, and is at a constant flow rate. Then you take a BVM, you put that PEEP valve on it, and you set that PEEP valve to a minimum of five or higher if you think they need more PEEP. This will create a jerry-rigged non-invasive positive pressure ventilation every time they take a breath. Huh. Okay. So what do you do if that isn't working or say the patient is, is hypoventilating, so you're just not getting enough? So, so this is actually easy. And, and when in doubt, do this, just bag them. Put a PEEP valve on, put it on five or 10 100% O2 flush rate and just bag the patient. All right. Okay. So I'm going to push you here. I'm like the little kid. What next? What if this isn't working? Intubate them anyway. Ooh, okay. Talk about scary. Go on. So this is now a human cognitive performance question. I don't want the takeaway to be, you can intubate someone if they aren't pre-oxygenated well. Like, that's not the intention of this podcast. I want the takeaway to be, you can intubate somebody if you didn't try to pre-oxygenate them well. If you RSI someone and they have a hypoxic arrest because you didn't pre-oxygenate them or try to pre-oxygenate them and you didn't know the tools to get someone optimally oxygenated, that's not good. And that's a failure of our education system and our supply system. If you do all the things we talked about in this podcast and use all those tools and they are still hypoxic and a bad outcome happens, that's just the pathology winning and they always get a vote. There's no error here. There's no failure. You knew this stuff cold. You made a heroic effort to make intubation safe, and they were just too sick to benefit from all the tools at your disposal. The outcome is the same. They have a hypoxic arrest or some other bad result. 
but the reason why isn't because we or you failed. Yeah, if you've gotten to the point where that patient needs to be intubated, it's probably to the point where they're going to die without a tube. And so you do your best. You have to pre-oxygenate them because things are going to be a lot worse if you don't. But even with all your best attempts, if you can only get them to 85, 88%, and that's the best you can do despite all of these measures, and they're going to die without that tube, you got to give it a shot. You got to get, you got to go for the tube. All right, Ross. So give us a summary of the stepwise approach to pre-oxygenating a sick pre-hospital patient. Okay, first thing you're going to do, hopefully you have two oxygen tanks or two oxygen trees. You're going to take a nasal cannula, you're going to slap that on, you're going to turn that knob all the way until it won't turn anymore and that ball is going to be bouncing off the top of the of the vial and you're going to flush rate that nasal cannula. Then you're going to slap a non-rebreather on there, you're going to do the same thing. You're going to turn that knob all the way, you're going to flush rate that non-rebreather. Hopefully this measure gets them above 95%. At the very least, you want these patients at 100% for sure. The goal here is we're trying to flush out all of that nitrogen out of the lungs. Now, if this doesn't work, you can try a CPAP, which most ambulances should carry. And hopefully you checked it out that morning and it's working for the day. So you're going to put a CPAP. Hopefully if the patient's uh, not obtunded, then they can wear that CPAP and CPAP can be pretty phenomenal at increasing that oxygenation with that hundred percent oxygen. If that is still not working, they may need some extra peep and some extra forceful bagging. And so at that point, you're going to put that peep valve on your BVM. You're going to put BVM on their face. If they're taking good spontaneous breaths, you can let them attempt to breathe it themselves. And if they're not, then you're going to actually bag for them or even with their own spontaneous respirations. If it's still not getting enough oxygenation, then you can attempt bagging for them. Finally, if you've done all of these measures and you still can't get them above 90, 95%, and they're about to die without an airway, you just got to go for it. You got to go for that airway and you just do the best you can for the patient and realize that speed is going to be your friend. That being said, remember this saying, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. <laughs>